Good morning. Welcome to Trinity. It's good to see you all here with us this morning. Before we jump into our message, just a a moment to recognize um, the role of membership and some new members into the family uh, of Trinity. In Romans chapter 12, uh, we're given these words from Paul. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Throughout the New Testament, we see believers committing themselves to the local church, that there is decided affirmation and commitment between church and Christian. It's a belonging that essentially says that there's some skin in the game in helping each other live out our faith together. Church membership is sort of a formal recognition or relationship between a church and a Christian, characterized by the church's affirmation and care of uh, the Christian's discipleship and the Christian's commitment to living out his or her discipleship in the context of a specific local church family. This morning, we have the privilege to recognize new members to the Trinity family, These new members have put down roots with us in our church family and have gone through our membership process. So on behalf of the elder team, it is my joy to welcome here present with us, Ken and Linda DePascarita and they're with their daughter, Elisa. And then not present with us, not present with us, Lori Cherry, Jay and Regina Duffett and Anna Wendell. So we welcome them into membership at Trinity Baptist Church. And with that, we also, following the service, have our annual meeting. We always do it at the end of June. Our fiscal year begins in July, so it just seems like a good time to care for business. But it's not all just business. It is a part of our fellowship together. And so following the service, we will turn the room over and uh, get lunch and all that prepared and the room prepared and then go about our annual meeting. And so I'll give some more instructions uh, later toward the end of the service for that. All right, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, all the way to the very end of that letter. We're in a series this summer called Friendship with God. We're following along a path that's worn uh, and laid for us uh, by uh, author Mike McKinley in his book, Friendship with God, um, a path to deeper fellowship with Father, Son, and Spirit. And so we're going to be sort of following along the markers along the way. So if you want a summer read, I would definitely encourage that to you. But today we're going to look at what is our, essentially our benediction for the series, a, a prominent benediction in the Bible, familiar words uh, at the very end of 2 Corinthians. I want to read a few verses before that to kind of give you the feel and the context of how Paul closes this letter. And then we're going to focus in on friendship with the Trinity, what that means, how we get to know God, Father, Son, and Spirit. So let's read, let's hear God's word. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and as we come to it together, we pray that you would do a good work in our hearts. So be with the preaching and the hearing and the receiving and the believing 
of this, your word, we pray to your glory and our good. In Christ's name, amen. Growing up as a kid in the 1980s, Bo Jackson was my favorite athlete. He may have been the greatest athlete I've ever seen. He played professional baseball, and for a hobby, he played professional football. And he was an all-pro in both. The very first Major League Baseball game I had ever attended was on July 6, 1987, in Cleveland, against Bo Jackson's Kansas City Royals. We sat so far from home plate that the only thing further from home plate was the home run Bo hit that day. He could do it all. Literally, he could do it all. I mean, I remember the time when he ran over a very boastful linebacker named Brian Bosworth on Monday Night Football, essentially ruining his career. And to this day, Bo Jackson, and I will argue with all you young bloods, Bo Jackson is the greatest video game character ever created. And it, thank you. I did not anticipate such, uh, such a response. There was a video game in my youth called Tecmo Bowl, and there was nothing you could do to stop Bo Jackson. I also remember watching the playoff game against the Cincinnati Bengals when Bo Jackson ran so ferociously, breaking through a tackle while doing so, dislocating his hip, damaging the blood supply in his hip joint area, and then being diagnosed with avascular necrosis, ending his football career and stunting his baseball one. Prior to that, in an effort to capitalize on this most unique athlete um, and his other world abilities, Nike launched an ad campaign that maybe you can think of if you are old enough. Bo knows. Not only did Bo know baseball and Bo knew football, but in the ad, Bo knew hockey and cricket and surfing and so forth, as they exaggerated his abilities. It was really brilliant. And as fortune would have it, Nike timed the drop of this ad with the 1989 Major League Baseball All-Star Game. And in the very first inning of that game, Bo Jackson hit a home run in front of an awed Vin Scully and his special guest, Ronald Reagan. Nike scrambled in that moment, paying who knows how much money to move their ad up to the very first ad at that next commercial break. Brilliant. Worth every penny. And launched this incredible legend. There was no one like Bo. And no one like him since. While Bo Nose took over pop culture for a while, and while I knew a lot about Bo, Bo didn't know me and I didn't know him. I appreciated his greatness from afar. But there was no relationship with Bo. There is a significant gulf between knowing about someone and knowing someone. If I were to have ever known Bo, it would have taken Bo extending that opportunity to me. 12-year-old Sean Carpenter would not have been able to bridge such a gulf. Similarly, but with even greater dramatics, God has bridged a gulf greater than my distance to Bo Jackson and has made a way for us to not simply know about him, but to know God in a real, substantive, intimate, 
close, eternal relationship. That's what our focus is on this, this summer, is that relationship. It's a friendship that God establishes, a friendship that we get to enjoy. And maybe that sounds counterintuitive. Maybe your background is that anything related to church or anything related to God can't have that much joy because there's a lot of obligations, a lot of rules, and a lot of following that has to happen. Or maybe you look at your own life and you feel like, I'm such a mess, there's no possible way God could be really a friend to someone like me. And those are real obstacles that we need to hurdle because God's intention, His loving purpose, His gracious action, His very near and present uh, presence with us says otherwise, that he indeed desires such a friendship. So this morning we're going to look at those closing words to Paul's letter in 2 Corinthians. We're going to look at the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to look at the love of the Father. We're going to look at the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And so that we better know this God that we have this friendship with. And so that's it. Friendship with the Trinity is a number of things that we get from just this simple closing benediction. It is knowing God by means of grace. Friendship with the Trinity is knowing God because of His love. And friendship with the Trinity is knowing God in His presence with us. And then in light of those things, how do we respond in such a relationship? Well, we go about knowing God through worship. So that's where we're heading this morning. Let's tackle the first one. Knowing God by means of His grace. By means of grace. Paul closes his letter with the focus on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The medium by which we get to know the Father, the Son, excuse me, is by grace. A medium is a thing through which a relationship is carried out. A medium is a thing through which a relationship is carried out. For example, the main medium that we have right now with our relationship with the news is most likely carried out by the internet, or more specifically, your smartphone. That's the medium by which you relate with the news. And so our relationship with Jesus, the medium by which we relate to Jesus, is by means of His grace. And throughout Scripture, we see that grace is at the heart of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. In fact, Scripture uses the word grace in those two very important ways. The first way focuses on who Jesus is in his personal presence. You know that phrase? He has graced us with his presence, talking about somebody of significance or of note. Well, Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, has graced us, humanity, his people, with his presence. One old theologian from a different century, John Owen, said this, Jesus fills up the distance that was made by sin between God and us. His personal presence fills up the distance that sin has created between us and God. And as such, then, we see in his personal presence and who he is, we see the grace of Jesus in these three ways. Very important for us to think about. First is this, that Jesus is perfectly suited to save us. That Jesus is perfectly suited to save us. In 1 Timothy 2.5, it says there is one God 
And there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He is the second person of the Trinity, and he took on our humanity. So he's fully God and fully man, and and in that mystery provides our salvation, provides our redemption, provides our relationship, provides our friendship with God. He's perfectly suited to hold up the divine and the human. He is the one and only who could have done this. He is perfectly suited to save us. And Jesus is not only perfectly suited to save us, but Jesus is full of grace upon grace upon grace. In John 1.16, an incredible opening chapter to John's gospel account, he famously describes the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us and says that from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Grace to the full, to the filling. Grace unending. Grace unmeasured. So Jesus is perfectly suited to save us because Jesus is full of grace upon grace. And not only that, but Jesus is our present hope in this life. He is our present hope in this life. His personal presence. We have this relationship by means of his grace. He establishes it that way. And we enjoy it by means of his grace as well. Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 4 says striking re- words about our present reality. And I want you to look at the verb tense that's describing Jesus, who Jesus is to us right now. I'll emphasize it when I read it, but here we go. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He is our present hope. He is present hope in this life. We are with him. He is with us. This is who Jesus is. So the basis, the, the foundation, the establishing of this friendship with God is because and by means of his grace and who he is. But it's also by what he does. His saving work. The person of Jesus is grace in the flesh and the work of Jesus is grace sufficient to save. We often say that grace is the unmerited favor of God meaning there is nothing that we are doing that kicks God into action. We are doing nothing in how we live to earn what Jesus has done for us. It's grace. It is of grace and only grace. And we see from the work of Jesus that redemption, the saving work of Jesus is a twofold grace. We are redeemed out of something, And we are redeemed into something. We are redeemed out of the penalty of our sin. We are redeemed out of the power of sin. One day we'll be totally fully redeemed out of the presence of sin. It'll be a great and glorious day. But we are also redeemed into something. And that's our focus this summer. Is we are redeemed into a friendship with God. By means of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love how Colossians 1, 13 and 14 summarize 
the out of and into dynamic of what Jesus has accomplished for us. It says this, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. So we're out of that and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. So we are now in that in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have been rescued out of the the dark and have been brought into the joy of the light. So Jesus' grace in his personal presence and his saving work brings us into something that we otherwise would never have been able to find on our own. And that is friendship with God. Friendship with God. That friendship of God originates, originates in the love of the Father. So friendship with God is knowing God by means of grace. Secondly, it's knowing God because of his love. If the, son, if the medium of the Son is grace, then the medium of the Father is love. It's as simple as that. Friendship with God is because God loves us. I know that, that may be hard to believe. But friendship with God is because He loves us. God's purpose for creation, humanity, history, are not arbitrary or obligatory, or mysterious. The purposes are that God would be glorified as we enjoy friendship with Him forever. The purpose for everything flows from the love of the Father. Just to hit that, the New Testament drills deeply down in this. Maybe you think of 1 John chapter 4 and I want to highlight just a couple of passages. There are a number of other passages that connect to all of God's purposes to his love. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 says this. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. It was revealed. It was brought out so that we could see it. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The Son came to take away all the obstacles that sat between us and friendship with God. And in that sending of the Son is the revealing of God's love for us. The revealing of His love. Later in 1 John 4, it says this in 18 and 19, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. And so maybe if you think of God as an angry God or a judgmental God or a God sitting in a courtroom with a gavel and your life is laid bare before him, you're not going to immediately think of God as a loving father. But here, what what we're seeing is that the nature and character and depth and magnitude of God's love for his people casts out the fear that we would have before someone that we would call a judge. Who's going to grade all the stuff. In our thoughts, in our motives, in our aspirations, in our words, in our actions and stuff. Whereas the magnitude of God's love for us chases out that sort of fear. He says, no, you are my friend. You are no longer my enemy. And it's flowing from a plan that is soaked with God's love. In Ephesians 4, 1, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 4 and 6, we see... 
a 30,000 foot view of God's purposes. And it says it's in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. I mean, what a sentence. His purposes are because of his love, are in love. He is doing these things. He is purposing these things. So when we look back and we see in eternity past, there was a loving purpose that the Father had to bring about our redemption so as to bring us into friendship with him. And then again in Romans 5, we see the ongoing aspect of the Father's love at work. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Staggering and overwhelming to think about the scope and magnitude of God's love. The Father purposes in love to redeem a people to himself, to bring forth a family. The Son accomplishes that redeeming purpose, and then the Spirit moves into our hearts and our lives and applies that to the very people God set his love on to redeem. This may be hard for us to believe. But our friendship with God exists because God loves us. It's the nature and character of our friendship. By means of grace, because of love. And it is very near and very clear and very present with us. We go about knowing God by means of grace, because of his love, but also knowing God in his presence with us. So if the medium of the Son is grace and the medium of the Father is love, the medium of the Spirit is fellowship with us. And I, I didn't really want to say medium and spirit together because then we'd be thinking a different way. But hopefully, hopefully you get it. That the, the vehicle of our relationship is with, is with the Spirit is his presence with us. In 2 Corinthians 13, 14, it says the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And the word fellowship, again, if you remember, for those who were with us last week, it means sharing in something deep, sharing in close, personal, intimate relationship. There is a, a deepness and a closeness about this word that is used to describe fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And when we see that in connection with what else we see there in that verse, the love of the Father sent the Son to bridge the gulf for our relationship, and the love of the Father sends, sends the Spirit to be with us. Again, we just looked at Romans 5, 5, but look at it again. The hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. How has God's love been poured out into our hearts? Through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So the Holy Spirit's Presence, making a home in our hearts is part of our friendship with God. And again, it's another display of God bridging the gulf between where he is and where we are so that we could have friendship in the present, in the moment, right now with him. And the Spirit does that in three sort of really big ways. There are three really big ways the Spirit is at work in, in that fellowship with us. The first is that the Spirit makes us alive. There are many things that you can put under these umbrellas, but the first umbrella is that the Spirit makes us alive. In Titus 3, verses 4 and 5, we see these words, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. 
The Spirit makes us alive. That's what that word regeneration means. To be made alive, to be made new. The old is gone, the new has come. We once were dead, but now because of God who is rich in mercy, we are made alive. And the, the means by which that happens in us isn't by ourselves. Dead people don't make themselves alive. It's by the alive God bursting into our dead hearts and making life. And does so by means of the powerful presence and work of the Spirit. So the Spirit makes us alive. Secondly, the Spirit enables us then to live. So we've been given a new life. And the Spirit helps us grow at living that new life out. We go from spiritual toddlership, if you will, and we grow through the course of our lives, reflecting more and more of the one who has rescued us. More and more of our life reflecting more and more of the character of Christ. And the Spirit is at work. The Spirit perfectly knows Jesus and is present in our hearts, making Jesus known and evident in and through our lives. I love the uh, fruit of the Spirit. The work that the Spirit is doing in us, the deep root work in our hearts, is to bring about this kind of fruit in our lives. That's what the Spirit is doing in your life now, and until you are done breathing or Jesus has returned, the Spirit is going to be at work in you to bring about this fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That list, that fruit of the Spirit, you know who that describes beautifully and perfectly? Jesus. And the Spirit is making... More of the character of Jesus evident in more of our lives. So the Spirit makes us alive and the Spirit enables us to live. And in the ongoing work, the Spirit, thirdly, assures us of what's to come. Life is hard. The things that we experience in this life can be debilitating to our faith, can distract our affections, can discourage us from laboring on and striving forward can can discourage us from believing that we can actually have friendship with God. Our own hearts can run complicit. We can we can wander. It's this life is filled with all sorts of obstacles. The Spirit makes us alive and enables us to live and assures us of yet what is yet to come. Gives us this future hope that brings present Strength in the midst of a hard world. For example, Romans 8.11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, lives, dwells, makes home in your heart, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give your life, give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. So even as you face death, Death does not win. And the Spirit assures you that your future is one of resurrection. And all three, Father, Son, and Spirit, all three are intimately involved in our friendship with God 
by means of love and grace and fellowship. All three are involved at establishing this friendship with us. We can know the Trinity, not just merely know about the Trinity. We can know God because he has bridged the gulf for us to know him. I love what Mike McKinley says in his book, um, Friendship with God. If you are in Christ, you are loved by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each one of those persons has ways of communicating love and grace to you. And in response, you have the wonderful privilege of loving, praying to, praising, believing, trusting, rejoicing directly in all three persons. And it's that privilege that we want to close our thoughts with. What do we do in light of what God has established for us in this friendship? How do we respond to such a friendship? Well, God in his loving grace and presence with us isn't creating a one-way dynamic where we just sit there and, and only receive from God. God paves the way for us to respond. How incredible is that? He actually does bring us into relationship with him where we respond to that which he has established. And that response, in a word, is worship. The medium of our response is worship. Here we see that the friendship with God is established by God and enjoyed through worship. What is worship? Broadly speaking, worship is acknowledging, praising, and making much of God and his worth. Worship through worship, we recognize God is worthy of it all. He's worthy of the praise and the glory and the joy. He is both worthy and worth it. In our lives, not just merely a Sunday morning from 10 to 1130-ish, depending on the pastor, um, our lives are to be that expression lived out to say, God, you are worthy and you are worth it. That's part of our response in this friendship with God is that we recognize his worth and experience the joy of friendship with him in our every days. I mean, God has given us means to enjoy friendship with him. He's opened up the way and provided for us things like, the, like prayer and the word, fellowship, fellowship with him, fellowship with him together as we are doing now. Love, obedience, all of this is worship, all of it. We are brought into. And so through worship, we are recognizing and rejoicing and resting in and relying upon God. And through worship, we are trusting in the God who has established this very friendship and frees us to enjoy that very friendship. No matter what we might be experiencing in life, because there might be a whole host of things represented in this room by our very lives which we are experiencing all sorts of challenges and obstacles to enjoying the friendship with God that he has established with us. And so part of our response is trusting God even when life is hard or full of hardships, questions, or struggles. And it's going to God with them, asking for his help, Sharing the things on our hearts. 
It's trusting in his word and how it reveals his character and his worth. It's gathering together with other believers and just our presence together to sing together, to pray together, to hear the word together, to talk to each other, to be in each other's lives. Encouragement for us in our friendship with God. In his book, Friendship with God, Mike McKinley says, when you trust the Lord in a difficult situation, when you believe what he says in his word, when you feel love for him and joy in your salvation, that's communion with God. That's you acting like God's friend. God's given you this to be his friend. He's given you this. These ways, these means for you and I to be his friend. The gulf between us and God has been bridged. We can know God. We can be his friend. This friendship is established by God's grace and his love and his presence. And this friendship is enjoyed by God's grace and his love and his presence. So may you and I, may we grow living as God's friends. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would help our hearts to to believe. There might be many reasons why we struggle with the idea of being your friend. That you desire this sort of friendship with us. Those obstacles may be the things that are happening around us. or Maybe the struggles that we have within us. I pray not for some quick fix, but I just pray for it. A deep, abiding awareness of your presence with us by means of your love and your grace. And I would encourage us in our times of loneliness, or struggle, or weariness, and that it would enable us to enjoy this very friendship you have provided, established, and you yourself enjoy. To move our hearts, God, to respond to you, our very lives, be that of worship. Help us to live in a way that says you are worthy and you are worth it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.